right. It's good to see everybody sitting so far away. It's awesome. No, we're good. We've got a microphone. It's too loud. Can we turn it down? Is anyone back there? No. Steve Barrett. He's got it. Don't let Ben touch it. Don't mess it up. All right. That's good. All right, Genesis 21. We'll pick up where we left off. We'll pray first. So let's do that and jump right in. We've got a lot to cover. We'll see how far we make it. Uh, God, we thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, as we read through your word, as we look at your design, look at your plan, look at uh, how you work things, uh, my prayer is that it would cause us to focus on you. God, you are the God of um, redemption. You're the God of salvation. And tonight, in our study, we desire to praise you. Um, as we continue to look at uh, what has unfolded in Genesis 21, at, uh, at this uh, family party that kind of goes wrong, and this small phrase that you use uh, that is so significant, I, I really pray that you would allow me to only stick to the things that I should be sticking to tonight, and to not wander and meander and muse over thoughts and things, uh, but rather just stick to what you would have us here tonight. Uh, God, we desire to, to know you uh, more. We desire to be better stewards of the grace that you've given us, and we desire to obey your word. So I pray that you would change us tonight. I pray that you would inform us. I pray that your word would warn us uh, and equip us. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to Genesis 21. <coughs> Isaac was born in this chapter, and that's a big deal. And uh, in this chapter, we see that there's a big celebration up front. So what was the family of Abraham celebrating? Do you remember? Yes. And why was that a big deal? Isaac was weaned. And why was this such a big deal? Yeah, the infant death rates were bigger. And, and I mean, he was the child of the promise. And so when the child of the promise lives through what could be a season of of uh, hardship for some families, all that. This, this celebration of him being uh, weaned, he was probably about three years old, was a big deal. Now, who got kicked out and why? Someone got the boot. Ishmael and, and his mama, that servant woman, the slave woman who she's referred to. Yeah, she is, uh, she's kicked out and he's kicked out. Why? Mocking, yeah. He mocked uh, Isaac. It, it, here we are. We're, we're in a celebration. We're going to recap here for one second, then move right on. Here's a celebration. It's a big celebration. The child of the promise has lived through his toughest, some of his possibly toughest days just as an infant. It's a celebration. And here, Ishmael is laughing in a mocking tone uh, so as to kind of say ha to God. Uh, this, while Isaac is a child of laughter, here we see Ishmael mocking in a laughing tone. It's a bad deal. The, fray, uh, the, uh, the party kind of stops. Uh, the, the record scratches, comes to a halt. Everyone kind of looks. Uh, Sarah blows her top and just wigs out and says, Get this slave woman and her child out of here. They will have nothing to do with Isaac, the child, uh, my son Isaac, the child of the promise. So uh, it says in... And in verse 11, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy 
and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is a huge phrase. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This comes up uh, throughout Scripture. We see that this is God's design, God's plan, and this is really a huge little phrase. Who are the people who believe the phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, is false? Who are the ones who believe that is false? We covered this last time. Yeah, and they believe it's through who? Not Isaac, but Ishmael. And they believe that because who told them that? And how did Muhammad hear about it, supposedly? He had a dream. Yeah, Gabriel came and said something, according to him. We don't believe that happened. Just so you all know, just so we're clear, we don't believe that that happened. And did he write it down himself? No. Why? Yes. Okay. It's important. So here we pick up where we left off. What we're looking at is these three different responses to this really hugely significant phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Um, in each preceding chapter in Genesis, we've been seeing the ups and downs of God's people. One minute we see God's people being faithful, being obedient. The next minute we see God's people um, uh, shelving God's plan and trying their own thing. So you see these ups and downs. You see we're faithful, we're obedient, we love the Lord. Here we're being boneheads and, and not living the way we should be. We're showing God's plan. Who are some other examples? I want to make sure that we keep this theme going because it's important. Who are some other examples of others in, in the scriptures as we've seen who have shelved God's plan to do their own thing? Abraham, yeah, he's done it maybe a couple times. What are some examples of, of him being a bonehead? Egypt. What, what was he doing in Egypt in the first place? And what did he do when he got there? Yeah? Yeah? Trace it back even further. Do we see anyone else shelving God's plan to try their own thing? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Adam and Eve. I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And what is the outcome every single time you take God's plan and you put it on the shelf and you try your own thing? Bad. There you go. Failure. Bad. Not good. It never pans out well for anybody who takes God's plan, puts it on a shelf, decides to try their own thing. And even like with Adam and Eve, they, they tried their own thing. It didn't work. They knew they were naked. And then they even tried their own way to solve their problem by dressing themselves in what? And did that work? No. What did God say about their fig leaf attire that they came up with? It's not sufficient. And what did he clothe them in? Animal skins. Okay. That's significant. There's all kinds of imagery and things there. We won't go into it. But the point is, we shelve God's plan, try our own thing. It never works out well. Just call it bad. And then even when we try to correct it and do our own correction on the thing, it doesn't work out well either. So to look at the word here, and we see God. I mean, look at it in, in the verse, in verse 12, Genesis 21, verse 12. God said to Abraham. There's no, there's no middle ground here. We're not... We're not guessing on who said this to Abraham. So to look at the word and see God say to Abraham, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and then to say that the exact opposite is true is another example of shelving God's plan and shelving God's design and trying out your own thing. And this will end up the exact same as it has for everyone else. For Adam and Eve, all the times that Abraham did it, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it never works out well. And for those who look at this and they say, okay, I see, God said through Isaac. Nah, I'm going to say 
God said through Ishmael. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It will not end up well for anyone who looks at that, changes it, shelves it, does their own thing. Why is the, this, this is an important question, why is the naming of offspring significant? It says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Why is that significant? Any guesses? Well, not a Christ. That's a big deal. Provision. What, what, is, what are the people, um, you know, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, the naming of the offspring, those who are named, what are they, what goes along with being named in, in that, as that part? What? The promise. What else? A nation of people. Whose people? God's people. Yeah. The, it's a big deal to be, for the offspring to be named, specifically here by God. So the naming of the offspring is significant. The, those named are a part of a covenant people whom God has promised to bless, whom God has promised to multiply. The whole, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's very, very significant. So the first response that we looked at was that of the Muslims. There's that connection back to those who shelved it and said, we're going to say it was Ishmael, not Isaac. Their belief was traced back to Muhammad. He died in 632. These are all just good things to know. He came up with the Quran, said it was Ishmael, not Isaac. It was interesting because I was thinking about all of the things. And let me say before this that our response to anyone who has a different belief than us is not ridicule and to mock them and to be hateful. We're supposed to respond lovingly. We're supposed to always be ready to give, an, uh, to give a reason for the hope that we have, to give a reason for that with gentleness and with patience. We're not called to be hate mongers. We're not called to be radical extremists that we see radical extremists on this side, so we're just going to jump to this side and be crazy and, and mean and harsh and cruel and, and kill all the people who think that we're different. So as I share these things, I want us to, sh- to, share, to think through them with that in our mind, that we're called to respond in love. We'll be known by the love that we have. Um, so I was thinking of all the things that exist today that can be traced back to Abraham's relationship with Hagar. Think about the things that have come up because there is a people who believe that Ishmael, who exists only because of Abraham's relationship with Hagar, that that Ishmael is the child who is blessed, not Isaac. Just think about things maybe you've seen in the news. What are some things that would not even exist today that can be traced all the way back to that? Oil. What else? There's lots of things. People, someone will mention something, and it's just going to domino. In theory. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict would not exist, and it's a big conflict. What else? Some terrorism from the Hezbollah, Al Qaeda, Hamas. Akhmadidijan, that was very good. Now you get ten <laughs> gold stars. <laughs> wow, we're gonna move forward before we get off. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Hamas, the Taliban, Al Qaeda, Jihad, the Sunni and Shia Muslim conflicts, the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts. There were missiles that were launched this morning in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank. I was reading it this morning in the Jerusalem Post. Those things, every single one of those things, can be traced back to Abraham's relationship with Hagar. So this comment, this comment 
through Isaac shall your offspring be named, is very significant. Because it, it, all these things that we're experiencing, the, the big point is, is that what we're studying is not uh, disconnected from what we currently know as reality. As we watch the news and we see things going on, what we're studying here is not at all disconnected. In fact, much of it is a product of not believing God's promise, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So much of what we encounter today actually reiterates and reinforces the truths of God's promise if we know how to view them the right way. And so all these can be traced back to Abraham's relationship with Hagar, to the birth of Ishmael, to the differing opinions on the phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. One inevitable result of this belief that we've already talked about in you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that's been mentioned is that uh, Ishmaelites, if they believe that their God's chosen, that there will be persecution and hatred towards those who are the offspring of Isaac. And that's, that's the source of the conflict. You see, uh, I, I don't believe that God said that. I'm going to put this in, try my own thing. And that means that the, this side and this side are just button heads, and they've been doing it for a real long time. There's a second view we're going to look at tonight. That's the view that we really, we talked more about it last time, and it's going to come up again in a minute. But the second view that we're going to look at is that, of that phrase, is that, it's only Isaac's ethnicity that makes him the one through whom Abraham's offspring shall be named. Um, we're looking at the view that's held by the Jews. And, and a way to understand this view that's held by the Jews uh, is, is like, I was talking to Ben and he, he pointed this out. And I think if we kind of just go with it, it'll help us understand it. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Isaac is the means by which God is carrying out his plan of redemption. Isaac is a means by which God is carrying out his plan for redemption. But it's all about God. That's really important. It's all about God. It's not about just his means. It's not about those who are the offspring of Isaac. It's not about Isaac himself. What we're seeing here is the Jews were guilty of focusing on the means and not the God of the means. If Isaac was a vehicle with which God was communicating his purpose, his design, his plan, what the Jews were guilty of is focusing on the vehicle, not the God of the vehicle. Focusing on the means, not the God of the means. If Isaac is a means by which God is redeeming a people. Many things came through the offspring of Isaac. We need to see these things to be able to understand this Jewish viewpoint of through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Turn to Romans 9 very carefully. It's a rule. When we turn to Romans 9, we have to do so carefully. And it says in Romans 9, verses 4 through 5, I want us to understand from a Jewish perspective the significance of the offspring of Isaac because they received a lot of things from God. And here in 9, th 4 through 5, it says uh, they're Israelites. And, and really the approach that Paul has here is I think one that we, we could even adopt. I mean, we can't trick ourselves into feeling how Paul felt, but if you start in verse 1, it says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, and my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We see this approach from Paul where he's saying, if there was a love that existed, that I could love them so much that I could be accursed and cut off from Christ to see them saved, I would. That kind of love doesn't exist because a love that's that strong only exists in Christ. And so what he's saying is, I'm not looking at the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, and saying they're stupid, they're dumb. Why don't they just open their eyes? Or being more? He's, he's, 
he has sorrow and anguish in his heart. He wishes to see them saved. And then we see those things that were given to them in verses 4 through 5. It says, they're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. What we see at the very, it's interesting, when you open up the Gospels, you open up Matthew, bam, right at the beginning, what you see is a genealogy. And you see that from Abraham all the way to King David through the Babylonian stuff, and then, and then to Christ, you see 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. And you can trace Christ all the way back to through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's very significant. It's like 42 generations, I think, is what it adds up to whatever 14 times 3 is. Hopefully I'm not wrong. Um, and so this, uh, the, wor- the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises, to them belong the patriarchs. But here's the deal. It is folly and it's foolishness. And it's a mistake to only be about those things and not about God. Are y'all tracking with me on that? It's really important to understand that. All of those things were given to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. The adoption, the covenant, the promises. All, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. All the law, all the things that we see as we read through the Old Testament that are very significant things, they were all given to them. But to, to focus only on those things and not God is a mistake. It's a lot like if we were to live each of our days saying, okay, God has given us you know, forgiveness and redemption and salvation, and I'm very excited about that. And all we do is talk about that all the time, and we try to see how we can be better people and, and may, maybe not be so bad, but we never consider God, that's the same mistake that they made here. They were not about God, and it's all about God. An example uh, given is circumcision. Turn to Romans, uh, just a few pages before, Romans 2, 25 through 29. <coughs> circumcision is one of the things that was given in, in, according to the covenant and the promises and all those things. And it's here we can use it as an example to understand what it means to focus on those things and not the God of those things. Just like focusing on Isaac and the offspring instead of the God of Isaac, the God of the offspring. Romans 2, 25 through 29 says this, For circumcision indeed is a value. Abraham would say, good. I'm glad that that was not something I did that had no value. For circumcision indeed is a value. If you obey, what? The law. Circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if you've been circumcised and you don't obey the law, it's as though you were not ever circumcised. So its value exists only in the ability to totally and completely, without any messing up at all, obey the law. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew. This we see in Romans a better definition of what a true Israelite is. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. If you just say, like they said in uh, John 8, where he says, Abide in my word, and you'll have the truth, the truth will set you free. We say, We're children of Abraham. We've never been a slave to anyone. You see arrogance there. It says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. We must understand 
that God dealt with Israel. So when we, when we look at God communicating with Israel, we have to understand that God communicates with Israel in such a way that, um, in a way that affects the whole world. Uh, this means that when God spoke to Israel, a message was given to everybody. So when we see God speaking to Israel, we don't just say, eh, I'm glad that's not me, he's talking to Israel. What we need to understand is we look at the law, we look at the covenants, we look at the promises, we look at the circumcision, that God spoke to Israel in such a way that he speaks to us. So when we see God speaking to Israel, we can say, okay, I take that as, as words to me too. And we get that from Romans 3, I think it's on the same page, Romans 3 verses 19, it says, now we know <coughs> that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Israel, so that every mouth may be stopped, everybody, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now, we see this example of circumcision. We see that God speaks to Israel in such a way that he's speaking to us, and that leads us to Romans 4.11, which tells us the purpose of circumcision. Now, look at Romans 4.11. So, God gives us something. It's all about God. It's not about the thing. It's about inward heart things, not just outward, law-abiding, looking good, doing things right kind of stuff. God works with Israel in such a way that he's speaking to us, and then we get to Romans 4.11, which is awesome. He's talking about Abraham. It says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Explaining this is humorous. We can giggle if we want. Consider the moments before Abraham was circumcised. In order for him to get to the point that he was circumcised, he had to have faith. He's not going to do that faithlessly. The point is, is he had faith before he took the knife and circumcised himself. He had faith first. It wasn't, I'm going to circumcise myself and hopefully be faithful. You must be faithful to do that. It's not going to happen the other way around. So Romans 4.11, which reveals the purpose, says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision, this example, one of the things given to the offspring of Isaac, um, the example given here is that the, the faith came before the actual act. The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe, without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. The point, the purpose here, to make Father Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So the point is not circumcision, the point is faithfulness. What is faith? It's just this ethereal, I'm a very faithful person. Faith in who? God, the whole point is God. The whole point is not circumcision. The whole point is God. An example is, see, the, uh, the Jews would use circumcision as a means to say, look at all these people that we're getting uh, circumcised. Uh, you know, this is good. We're growing a people, and it's kind of this showing in the flesh, this outward look at us. Interesting, I, I don't know. I might get, I don't know, smacked for this or whatever, but it seems like our version of circumcision could be altar calls. Um, because if we just only focus on trying to get people to say a certain thing and do a certain thing, that certain thing has no significance if there was no faith before a person walked down an aisle. Does that make sense? 
The significance is the faith in God that exists because God has drawn that person before they ever walked down an aisle. So if our goal is just numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers, it's no different than the showing of the flesh that the Jews are trying to have. They can, do, do y'all see the correlation there? Does that make sense? It's, it's not, um, a, a real simple way to say it is, it's not beneficial just to have a good showing in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, if our goal as a church was to just say, hey, look at how many people we have, it's just a showing in the flesh. There's not, that's not faithfulness. If we had thousands of people here, that doesn't mean faithfulness. Um, but if that's our, and so if that's our goal, our focus is no different than that. Yeah, it, yeah to, the motive has, yes, yeah. If, if I, I mean, I, I love to sing about my salvation, but if I'm all wrapped up in singing about my salvation, that's a good thing to sing about your salvation, but if, if you're void of this high view of God and worshiping God and being about God, then it's, it's, it's all about works in the flesh. Um, uh, this leads us to the third view, which is this, the view that uh, I'm hoping we hold. Uh, this third view, and we're going to talk about how they are related. Um, the third view is that Isaac was the child of the promise, and our only hope is in the God of the promise. God gave a promise, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The Muslims focused on, no, it's Ishmael. So they totally changed it, and that changes their whole view of life, their whole view of every goal that they have while they're alive and when they're dead. The Jewish view is that focus on Isaac, focus on the offspring, focus on the covenants, focus on the promises, all good things, but they're lacking God. Our view that we have is that Isaac was a child of the promise, and our only hope that we have for any kind of salvation, any kind of redemption, any kind of eternal bliss in heaven with God is the God of that promise. That's the focus. It's all about God. Um, as Christians look at the life of Abraham, we immediately, faithfulness. We see faithfulness. Luckily, God gives us the insight into him being a bonehead and some of his ups and downs, but we see faithfulness. And anytime we see faithfulness, you've got to trace it back to the source. Anytime you see faithfulness, trace it back to the source. What I mean is that people can be faithful in the wrong things. I was um, working at a job in Dallas, putting security in this place, and I was talking to the CEO of the company, it was a female CEO, which made this company real dynamic, and they were growing, and she was talking about her partner in the company, and she said, I'm so thankful that I have a partner who is so faithful. He's such a strong man of faith. He is gentle. He is reasonable. He's so good with our customers. He leads the staff so well. He's so dynamic in his leadership, and he's so gentle. He's just so nice. She just kept painting this picture. I was like, man, that is a blessing. She said, he's Buddhist and he's wonderful. I was like, okay, it's faithfulness, but not the right direction. 
you can be faithful in the wrong direction. Um, well, you've got to trace it back. Um, Romans uh, 4.20 for, through 25. Go ahead and look at the same, uh, maybe next page over. Romans 4, verse 20 through 25. I want to look at that faithfulness of Abraham. <laughs> and I want to look at how it impacts us as we trace it back to the source, which is obviously God. I'll tell you ahead of time. Romans 4, 20 through 25 says this. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. What promise? The promise of through Isaac shall your offspring be named. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Not the promise, not the means, not the vehicle, but to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Remember how God talks to Israel in a way where he's talking to the whole world? The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Those sitting in this room, those words were written for you. Why? It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the question we ask is, are we fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised? Furthermore, are we even familiar with the promises of God? Like if I had to, if, if we just all took a sheet of paper and listed all the promises of God, we know, how far would we get? Do we, are we able to believe fully? Are we fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised? Do we know God's promises? What's another way of saying fully convinced? What's another way of saying that? Someone is fully convinced. Sold out? <laughs> Anything else? Believer? And a believer is a person who is believing and faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be fully convinced is to be faithful. So my question then, what are some things in our lives that would reveal that we're not fully convinced or, 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 or we're unfaithful? What are some, you know, it doesn't have to be you personally, it can be someone you know, uh, but what are some things in our lives that would indicate that we're not fully convinced that God can fulfill his promises, that we're somewhat unfaithful? An attitude, character trait that we can carry with us. Fearful? Worried, stressed? Miserly? I like that word. What else? Yeah? 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 Oh, yeah. Hoarding? Yeah, that's another one. Do you believe that God can fulfill his promises? Are we fully convinced, like Abraham, that he's able to do what he promised? Anxiety, doubt, complaining about our current conditions. I'm sure none of us have done that in the last 24 hours. Lack of rejoicing, lack of peace. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised? Or are we totally unsettled and unseated by a particular condition that exists here and now? Because if we're totally unseated by something that might happen in the here and now, there may be a tendency for us to realize that we are not having the eternal perspective that we're supposed to have. Um, 
fully convinced that God's able to do what he promised. Uh, faithful. Um, so anxiety, doubt, complaining about current, ter- current conditions, lack of rejoicing, lack of peace, fear, all those things are indicative of I'm not clinging to the promises of God like I should. I'm clinging to all these means that I see around me. Some of the means aren't working the way I want them to. The means of maybe retirement, maybe you're one of the people that you know, 20 to 30 percent has just gone down the tube in no time at all, and you're oh man, that means I was clinging to that. Now I'm unseated, unsettled, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm doubtful, I'm fearful, I'm full of anxiety. We must be fully convinced that God's able to do what he promised. So as we look at Israel, how was Israel unfaithful? I want us to read Romans 9. Turn carefully there again. We only turn there carefully. Romans 9, verse 30 through 10, 4. <coughs> and I want to read this, and as I read this, I want you all to just pick out, there's, um, there's uh, maybe eight things at least uh, that show how Israel was unfaithful. And I want us to learn from those things. Remember Psalm 19 says that the word of God warns us. If we see someone else being accused of being unfaithful, let that warn you not to do and live the same way that that person who was accused of being unfaithful lives. So how was Israel unfaithful? Romans 9.30 through 10.4. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But, it, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what's our list? How were they accused of being unfaithful? What were some of the things they did? What did they pursue? Works. What's another way of saying works? The law. They pursued the law. So if they pursued the law, what were they not pursuing? In God. Yeah, you're pursuing the law. You're not pursuing God. Uh, As if it were based on what? Works, not faith. Okay? What did they stumble over? Christ. What do we believe Christ to be? Our what? Savior, righteousness. They stumbled over Jesus. This is probably the scariest part to me. They were zealous. They were fired up but not according to knowledge. It's not enough just to be fired up. You can be that on-fire person, and that's just not enough. Zeal is not enough. You must have a right understanding. They were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. Again, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, not conformed to the world. They were being conformed to the world and the works of the flesh, not transformed by the renewal of their mind, seeking to establish their own. Do you see that? Seeking to establish their own. What's that like doing? It's like taking God's design and putting it on a shelf and doing your own thing. It never, ever, ever works out well. Um, uh, What was the next one? Oh, they did not submit to God's what? To God's righteousness. 
they, maybe they thought in a foolish way, an unknowledgeable yet zealous way that they were, but they were not submitting to God's righteousness because they did not see what or who as the end of the law for righteousness. Christ. That's our list. Pay attention to it. Don't be guilty of those same things. Those are very important things. Christ is our righteousness. He's not a means to our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. For us, Christ changes everything. When I read over my Hebrew Old Testament Jewish law, I cannot help but see Christ all over it. The last few years, I've become more familiar with my Old Testament than I ever have, and i still got a long way to go. But I love just writing Jesus out in the column. I say, ah, Jesus. Oh, root of Jesse. Jesus. Savior. Jesus. Oh, he's going to bring, ah, Jesus. Oh, from Jerusalem. Jesus. From Bethlehem. All right, we see Jesus all over our Old Testament, and Christ changes everything. Uh, normally talking about Greek and Hebrew. And the Passover lamb be fully consumed. Christ, yeah. Yeah. Greek and Hebrew, I'm I'm back, I'm back. Uh, Normally Greek and Hebrew are boring, but this word is so fun to say, it's not boring at all. Christos is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Moshiach. I've been working on that all day, and I'm so happy to say it. Moshiach. Any guesses on what Moshiach means? Messiah. See, my Hebrew's very good. That was not hard for y'all. Messiah. Now, go with me on this. Turn to Colossians 3. Messiah. Our view of Messiah and the Jewish view of Messiah are actually very different, and it impacts our understanding of through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Turn to Colossians 3. Ephesians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 3, 2. What does it tell us to do? Set your mind on the things that are what? Above. And not on the things that are where? On earth. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are earth. It sounds like we're being told, commanded, to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. Why? What's our reason for that? Why in the world would we be a people who are cool with not getting wrapped up on all the junk on earth, but rather as we live here on earth, setting our minds on the things above? Why? It's in verse 1. The, just the, there's 3, 2 is what we read. Go to 3, 1. Why? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of who? God. That's why we set our mind on the things above, that's where God is. Set your mind on the things above. Why? Because we've been raised with Christ. We seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Again, it's all about God, and our way to God is through Christ, the Messiah. Messiah actually means anointed one. Christ, the anointed one, the one who 
according to God's design, is how we get to God in heaven. So, again, it's all about God, and our way to God is through Christ the Messiah. Understanding the Jewish view of the Messiah is important. The Jewish view of the Messiah is that uh, uh, the concept of a Messiah, and I got all this from rabbis and good sources, I think, I sure hope, and a, the, the concept of a Messiah is a basic and fundamental part of traditional uh, Judaism. And I didn't know this, but there's a prayer recited three times daily called the Shimonei Esriei. Totally butchered that. It doesn't matter. But this prayer includes all the elements of the coming Messiah. And supposedly it's said three times a day. Listen to all the things about this prayer and, and their view of a Messiah. As they look at through Isaac, shall your offspring be named? They believe that through Isaac, 14 generations later, you get to King David. And it's through King David that there will come one who does all of these things that they're praying towards. Listen to him. The ingathering of the exiles. Restoration of the religious courts of justice. An end of wickedness, sin, and heresy. Reward to the righteous. Rebuilding, in, or, uh, rebuilding of Jerusalem. Actual Jerusalem. Restoration of the line of King David restoration of the temple service. All those things are supposedly prayed three times a day in, in uh, hope and planning and setting your mind on this coming Messiah. What is missing in all these things? God! All the things, the ingathering of exiles, that's about people. The restoration of religious courts, that's about courts. Wickedness, sin, and heresy, that's good not to have those. Reward to the righteous, that's about people. Rebuilding of Jerusalem, that's about a place. Restoration of the line of King David, that's a person. Restoration of the temple service, that's a thing. God is totally void of that prayer as a prayer that is a, a focus on a Messiah. And the belief is that the Messiah is actually not even a, a divine being, just a person who, is, um, who will one day come and is um, a, a strong uh, a warlord, one who's good with people, one who's good with government, one who can get people to do something as to be able to do these things. What's missing? God. It's all temporal. It's all worldly. It's having to do with the courts and the laws and the services and the genealogy. God's missing. I was reading some writing from a rabbi, and he said, most of a rabbi, a rabbi, most authority suggests that the conduct of mankind will determine the time of the Messiah's coming. When he is most needed, because the world is so sinful, or when he is most deserved, because the world is so good. What, what, what kind of thinking is that? What comes to mind? It depends on the conduct of mankind. That is man-centered. It's not about God. I, I believe God has a plan. He's going to execute it perfectly according to his plan, according to his design, according to his will, according to his every detail that's all been mapped out from before time even existed. And yet, here I'm hearing that the Messiah will come based on the conduct of mankind. It causes one to focus on the conduct of mankind and not God. The focus is on the conduct of mankind and not God. If you were to pray that three times a day, every single day, according to this rule, focuses on the conduct of mankind, not God. It's very man-centered. Because of this, they obviously don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Rather, one who professed to be a Messiah. They had a, a little list, and I was reading through the list, that they just lumped Jesus in the list. This rabbi lumped Jesus in a list of others. Others like Shabbatai Tizvi and Shimin Barkoba. But do you know we, why we haven't heard of these other two guys? Because their tombs aren't empty. That's why. 
We haven't heard of Shimi and Barkova and Sabati because their tombs are not empty. Jesus rocked the entire world when after everything he'd said, everything he'd done, he died on the cross, and then the tomb is empty. That's the big difference. That's why we haven't heard those other guys' names. I did more research on one of the other guys, Shabbatai Tzvi, who proclaimed to be the Messiah, the coming Messiah that the Jewish people were looking forward to. And do you know how it ended up for him? In the 1600s, about a, 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 a thousand years after Muhammad died, Muhammad, the one who brought up the whole Ishmael thing, about 1600, at 1600, about a thousand years after that, this, this guy, Shabbatai Tzvi, who professed to be um, the Messiah, actually was threatened with death if he wouldn't convert to Islam. And he converted to Islam. The Messiah converted to saying, oh yeah, yeah, not Isaac Ishmael. And a bunch of Jews followed him. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. But that's why we haven't heard of these guys. They're nothing like Jesus at all. What did Jesus do when he was threatened with death? I know that this is what my Father has for me. This must happen. If the cup can pass for me, great, but I would much rather my Father's will be done than me just crumble under these people who are showing so much hatred. This is God's design. This is not, this is not causing my Father to be surprised. I'm not going to change things. Very different. Their tombs are not empty. So we go back to the Colossians 3 connection. Colossians 3. We set our minds on the things above. Why? Because we've been raised with Christ. The tomb's empty. We've been raised with Christ. That's why we set our minds on the things above, not get um, all worked up and, and consumed by the things on earth and become godless people who don't think about God but only think about this, that, and the other or, uh, that are the things here on earth. Christ conquered death. If he hadn't conquered death, if his tomb was not empty, we might as well hope in the other two guys. We might as well at that point, if he hadn't conquered death. Interestingly, this skewed view of through Isaac shall your offspring be named, it caused the Jews not to set their minds on the things above. We see through this prayer that it's not about the things above. It's about the court system and the genealogy and the exiles and the people and this law and this court and all these things, but not the things above. And interestingly, it has caused the same thing in Muslim radicals today. As we look at the Muslim radicals today, it's, this is really interesting. Their goal is to wipe Israel off the map and reinstate the Sharia, which is the Islamic religious law. So here we have, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We have a Jewish people saying, it's about Isaac, it's about the offspring, and taking their eye off God. That causes them not to set their minds on the things above, but rather those things that they're praying towards in that daily three times a day prayer. The Muslims, because they don't rightly see through Isaac shall your offspring be named, they say no, because Muhammad trumped it with a prophecy. We're going to say it's Ishmael because of that. Now their focus, rather than being on the things above, is about wiping Israel off the map and reinstating a uh, reinstating the Sharia, which is the um, Islamic religious law, and a religious state, a, uh, a an Islam Muslim religious state in that place on earth. They want to wipe Jerusalem off the map. In fact, a lot of the commentaries I was reading online are saying they'll say things like Israel doesn't even um, doesn't even uh, have the right to exist because they believe it was through Ishmael that they don't have the right to exist. You see this hatred and this consumed by worldly things and this town and building a name for this people and we're this people and look at us and look at how powerful we are. Look at how we're going to grow rather than setting your mind 
on the things above. And it all comes from this wrong view of through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what I want to do as we close, we've got just a couple minutes left. I want to look at a few verses that will hopefully guide us and warn us and keep us on that right path so that we don't get consumed with the things of the world, but rather we're actually able to set our minds on the things above because that's where God is. Turn to 1 Peter 3.18. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ, who makes all the difference, <laughs> for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to who? God. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. D- do we view God like that? When you think of all the suffering of Christ, you think about the cross. You, you make your decisions with the cross in view. You do everything with the cross in view. You don't get wrapped up in the world and, and the things of the world because you have the cross in view and you know that there's an empty tomb. When you think about all that Christ suffered, are we joyful because it brings us to God? Because that's what we should be joyful about. We should be joyful. We should be excited. Yes, zealous, but rightly, knowledgeably zealous because we understand that Christ died and he suffered, all he suffered, to bring us to God. Not just to make us happy, not just to make us wealthy, not just to make us feel better about our lives, but to bring us to God. Turn to Psalm 70. This is a really cool psalm. Honestly, I don't know if I'd read it before today. No, we're supposed to have the psalms memorized. Psalm 70, verse 4. When we think about the things we rejoice in and think about the things that we're glad in, it's cool here in Psalm 70 it says, May all who seek you, God, rejoice and be glad in you. Not just a byproduct of what it has happened because I was seeking you, but my joy is in you and I'm glad in you. May those who love your salvation say forevermore, God is great. Y'all see the difference there? May those who love your salvation say forevermore, not salvation is great, but the God of the salvation is great. Not Isaac is great, the God of Isaac is great. Not the offspring is great, the God of the offspring is great. It's all about God. Here you see this praise, this song of praise. May those who love your salvation say forevermore, what? God is great. It's all about God, not salvation, not Abraham, not the circumcision, not the law, not the reinstatement of the temple services, not the restoration of the line of King David. It's all about God. It is God who's great, and Christ suffered to bring us to God. Uh, John Piper wrote a book. It was, it's, it's one of those books you read, and you're like, man, I feel so dumb. That's so simple, but it's so clear. The book is called God is the Gospel. Pretty simple. God is the Gospel, and in it, he says, The saving love of God is the gift of himself. See, some of us, myself included, have had a tendency to say, what are the gifts of God? And I could make a long list. Mercy, redemption, grace, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, generous, self-control. I could list all these things. But himself might not make it on the list. And the point here is that the point of the gospel, the point of sharing it, is the saving love of God is the gift of himself. There's no reason to be in heaven if not for God. 
Why do we share the gospel with people? Why do we share the gospel with them? He tells us to. Compelled to. Where does it lead? God. Where does grace lead? Forgiveness, mercy, salvation, redemption. They're not an end in themselves. Like we don't share the gospel with people. I want to share the gospel with that person so that they can have the grace of God. No, the ultimate end is the God of the grace. I want to share the gospel with someone so that they have the mercy of God. Which leads them to the God of the mercy. The grace and the mercy and the redemption and the forgiveness are not the end. The end is God. So it all leads to God. So that little phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, is not intended for us to focus on Isaac. It's not intended for us to focus on offspring. Rather, it was spoken to the people of Israel so that the whole world would focus on God. Next week in Genesis 21, we're going to that next section. And it's cool because... We're going to see how one lives according to promises. See, Abraham is, is a sojourner in a land that's been promised to him, and he has an encounter with, this, with Abimelech and with Phicol, the commander of the army. And what, we're going to see a really cool picture about how we're called to live according to God's promises in, in a land that is earth with our focus set on our minds set on the things above. Part of our minds being set on the things above goes back again to Romans 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, not conformed to the world. If you're conformed to the world, you're consumed with the things of the world. You focus on the things on earth. However, we're called to set our minds on the things above. Um, so that little phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, has turned out to be a significant phrase because the different views have led to um, misunderstandings. It's led to uh, Muslim extremists, led to a lot of death, a lot of blood being shed. I mean, think of the Holocaust. Think Jews were killed because Jews were not liked because it's traced back to here and being God's people, and someone saying, uh-uh, I don't, I don't think so. I'm going to undo that. So there's been a lot of blood that's been shed, a lot of heartache from this phrase, uh, but I hope we have a right understanding that as we cling to that promise, it's a promise we should be thankful for. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. My hope is that it's a promise that we cling to because it just causes us to set our minds on the things above, which is, which is God. So are there any questions or thoughts? Interpretive dances? Whatever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for being God. I thank you. Uh, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for peace. God, I'm thinking of uh, be anxious about nothing, but um, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will exceed, that exceeds understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. But it's not just the peace of God we want. It goes on to say that the God of peace will be with us. Just another example that's right there, that it's, we thank you for peace, we thank you for encouragement, we thank you for joy, we thank you for redemption, salvation, mercy, grace, all those things, but God, we, we are most thankful for the gift of yourself that you have given us in Christ. God, when we get to heaven, I pray that we're wholehearted when we say we eagerly anticipate worshiping you forever. Forever. We eagerly anticipate being in your presence, knowing you and seeing you as you are, and praising you because every moment of every, every moment of every moment, we have a new reason to give you praise because your glory is unending. And so I pray that we would eagerly anticipate that, to be in heaven because you're there, not because there's a street of gold or a mansion that 
has been properly prepared according to our liking or anything like that, but because you're there. God, we love you. We praise you. I pray that you would help us to have a, 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 a life that we live that we're not consumed with the things of the world. We're not unseated by changes that we disagree with or, or uh, things that are going on around us or whatever it might be, but I pray that we would set our minds on the things above, and I pray that you would prepare us uh, in these next few days as we engage the word again and on Sunday and looking at let, not letting our hearts be troubled, but believing in you. God, we love you. We thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the gift of yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.